We, can we hear it for the worship team one more time, guys? That was awesome. Well, welcome to church, everyone. See, church can be fun. We are um, in this series that we are continuing that we began last week. It's a seven-week spring series called I Love the 90s, where we've been revisiting this decade of the 90s and also looking at what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, as I said last week, um, when I, I threw up a couple pictures of me from the 90s, I think we still have them. Um, th this was me uh, at the beginning and the end of the 90s. And for me, uh, the 90s really was a decade of progress, okay? It's pretty obvious right there. I was a middle school student, a high school student, and a college student in the decade of the 90s. So my entire teenage years, the biggest mental, social, physical growth in my life occurred during this decade. I went from having a TV crush on girls like Topanga on Boy Meets World. Hey, if you guys have a crush on Topanga? Yes, okay, all right, a couple of you guys. There we go, all right. Um, I, I went from having a crush on her to meeting my wife, Julie, and getting engaged in 1999. So the 90s for me was definitely a decade of progress, but not just for me. I mean, historians have labeled the 90s as the decade of progress. In the world of music, how many of you are Taylor Swift fans? Any Swifties out there? Okay, some Taylor Swift fans. Taylor Swift was born in 1990. There's Taylor Swift. By the way, um, my daughter Liberty, her birthday is next month, her dream is to go see Taylor Swift in concert. It costs about as much as a car to go see Taylor Swift in concert. So if any of you want to hook your pastor up and make me father of the year, you let me know if you got connections, okay? Um, but uh, other artists, it, the rise of rap and hip-hop, if you guys are into rap and hip-hop, artists like Dr. Dre, you know, challenged our nation's thinking on things like race and socioeconomic class and censorship. In the world of sports, LeBron James, six years old in 1990. But the greatest basketball player to ever live, Michael Jordan. Yeah. He had, he had not yet won. He had not yet won his first NBA championship in 1990. But he would go on to transcend basketball and the sport, sports, I guess, in general over the decade. And by the end of the 1990s, he had won six NBA titles. In the 90s, we went from pay phones to cell phones. And we were introduced to computers. And then came the internet. So the 90s was truly the decade of progress. And, and, and here's how this relates to us and, and God and kind of where we're going in this series. Most of us, hopefully, want to make progress in our lives, right? We want to make progress financially, have a little bit more cheddar in the bank account, right? We want to make progress physically and get healthier in our lives. We want to make progress socially and have better relationships. And we want to make progress spiritually. I'm assuming that because you probably wouldn't be in church this morning or watching online if that wasn't the case. And here at First Light South Portland Church, we believe that you were created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose in this life. 
And so that's really what this entire series is about, that, that wherever you are currently in your walk with God, how can you choose to make a next step and make progress in the year ahead? So last week we began this series by looking at this big overarching verse in the Bible that we said was so profound and so powerful, and it's found in 2 Peter. And we said that, that this, was, this was really our key verse, our big verse for this entire series. And this verse was written by the apostle Peter. And Peter, you know, he was the first disciple to figure out who Jesus was. He's probably the most famous disciple. He did some incredible things. He got to walk on water with Jesus. Can we agree that's pretty incredible? That was awesome. He, he got to preach a message at Pentecost and thousands of people accepted Christ that day. So if anyone knew Jesus, it was the apostle Peter. And here's what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.18. He wrote this. He said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So Peter's challenge to all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus is that we should be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That grace isn't just something we should sing about. It's not just lyrics to a hymn or a song, but that it's something we should actually do. It's an action. It's something that we should grow in. And again, as we said last week, taking next steps and growing as a follower of Jesus is not about being perfect. It's not about trying to do stuff to get God to love you more. Because God doesn't love you based on what you've done. He loves you based on who he is. And the frustrating thing for me as a pastor is that in church world, we often totally mess this up. See, in church world, we don't typically celebrate when people are transparent with things that they're struggling with and they're trying to make a next step and they're trying to progress and they're trying to work on something. Instead, here's what we celebrate. We celebrate this. We celebrate the perception of perfection. We celebrate the perception of perfection. And so many church people, they hide behind these fake masks of perfection and they make it seem like they have everything all together when in reality they don't. And consequently, they never take real steps in their walk with Jesus. But as I read my Bible, I mean, I don't think that's the way that church was meant to be. I believe that church was meant to be a place where we celebrate. I mean, we get up and cheer every time somebody takes a step, even a little step in their walk with Jesus. Even that, if that step, like a, like a little baby, like we showed that video of Lincoln last week taking his first steps, even if that step, like a little baby, is not perfect and a little bit shaky and unbalanced, I believe that Jesus came not for perfect religious church people, but for broken people in need of a Savior. So last week, we had an incredible service. And, and, and if you missed last week's service, I, I encourage you to please check it out online. If you missed the annual meeting, you can also, um, you know, check out the message that I shared online as well. But last week, we said that while all of us are at different places in our spiritual walk, we all still have one thing in common, 
And that is that all of us need to grow and that all of us need to identify what our next step is. And in our service last week, many people actually raised their hand and said, God, I have a next step to take. Many people confessed that. In fact, more than half the room did. I wished it was everybody, but more than half the room said, yeah, I know I have a next step to take. And they prayed for the courage to be able to take it. And so I just got to tell you today that I, I love our church. I love our church. And I'm so glad that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Where you don't have to walk into these doors and pretend that you're something you're not. Like this is a place where imperfect people are welcome. And we say it here all the time. We say that there are no perfect people here at our church in fact, if you're perfect, you may want to consider going someplace else because we'll probably screw you up. I just want to warn you ahead of time, okay? We're just a bunch of imperfect people who just happened to realize that we needed a Savior in our lives. And Jesus has made all the difference for us. But here's the deal. While it's true that God loves because that's who he is, that's his character, he is love, and while Jesus is ready to meet us exactly where we are, even in our mess, he's ready to meet us right there. That's true. Here's the thing, church. He doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to get up, and he wants us to start following him into a greater life and into a greater story that he has for us. Now, as we said last week, unfortunately, most Christians never get there. Most Christians, they kind of stop at receiving Jesus. They receive Jesus, and then they're like, okay, I've got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. And then they begin to proceed back to life as usual. But becoming a receiver of Jesus is not the end game. In fact, it's just the beginning it's the beginning of an ongoing personal love relationship with God that's meant to go on into eternity. Because Jesus didn't call us to be receivers. He called us to be this. What's that word, church? Followers. He called us to be followers. So how do you know if you're a follower of Jesus? Well, our bottom line, this is where we kind of ended last week, is this. We said that this is what a follower of Jesus is. We said being a follower of Jesus means living in a daily pursuit of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus means living in a daily pursuit of Jesus. That you're constantly looking for ways in your life to take a next step in your walk with him. And all of us, whether you're here today and you're not sure yet what you believe about God and Jesus or if you're new to faith and you just made a decision of faith last week or on Easter Sunday, or if you've been a Christian for 10 years or 20 years or 50 years or more, it doesn't matter. All of us have a next step in our walk with God. And so in this series, we've been examining some of those big next steps that followers of Jesus take, and it's really tied in to our core values as a church, the key things that we believe here at First Light South Portland Church. And last week, we, we ended by looking at the first two big steps, two big core values that followers of Jesus 
really embrace. And, and they are this. Number one, that they actually love other people. And number two, that they care enough to get involved in the lives of other people. And, and we say it like this around here. We, we say that loved people love people and that found people find people. That everyone you ever meet, everyone you're ever eyeball to eyeball with matters to God, so they should matter to you. And they should matter to you enough that you would begin to get involved in their lives, to invest into their lives and invite them into encounters with Jesus. Now, I hate to say it, but there are a lot of church people in this world who are just mean. Have you ever met a mean church person? Raise your hand. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. I've told you guys before, but sometimes I think I get along better with non-Christians and new Christians than longtime church Christians. In fact, it's really sad to say, but some of the meanest, most hurtful things ever said to me or about me or to my family were said or written in an email or Facebook messaged by church people. But when I read about the early church in Scripture, I don't read about a lot of mean Christians. Like some of them were pretty jacked up, but they were trying to follow Jesus. And they had compassion and kindness and forgiveness. Like there was evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. What if church people today were known for those things? What if when people in this community thought of us and thought of our church, they thought of compassion instead of criticism? I remember as a non-Christian kid in, in middle school getting invited to church and showing up at church for the very first time. And I remember getting pulled aside and yelled at by a greeter because I wore a baseball cap into the church building. I didn't know Jesus from Tupac, 90s reference. <laughs> but my baseball cap was the problem for the greeter. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you think God was mad at me for wearing a baseball cap to church that day? Or do you think that maybe his heart leapt for joy like a heavenly father that a little Hindu Indian kid was about to take a next step and learn about his son, Jesus? And one more thing, then I'll get off my soapbox. But what if we loved people instead of kicking them when they were down? I think Christians are like the only army in the world that shoot their wounded. Right? We're the army of God, right? We're marching along. Oh, you're struggling with an addiction? Bang! That's terrible. Oh, your daughter's part of our youth group? What was that? She got pregnant? Yeah, you got to leave the church. Bang! What is that? You can't win a war if you shoot your own people. What if we were known for forgiveness and support instead of just telling people to go fix themselves. I'll say it again. I am so glad you don't have to be perfect to be a part of this church community. It's not like get your life all together first and then you can hang out with us. It's more like come on in. If you're broken, if you're wounded, whatever you got going on, come on in. There's room for one more. There's room for one more. 
everyone matters to God. Everyone matters to God. And so as followers of Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus, everyone should matter to us. And so last week, we again said our first core value as followers of Jesus is that loved people love people. And our second core value is found people find people because life change happens when people get connected to Jesus. He's the one who can change lives. Well, well, this week we're examining another big step that followers of Jesus take. But before we unpack that teaching today, um, let me ask you guys a little question that's going to help us out as we unpack this third core value. How many of you have ever made a really bad decision in life? Can you raise your hand? Yes, that should be like everyone in the room, right? We've all probably at some point in life, we've made a bad decision. And I would argue that in the 90s, many of us made some bad decisions when it came to fashion. (laughs) Amen? So, Jim, if you can grab that microphone, because we're going to play another 90s game. We told you throughout the series, we're going to do some 90s trivia. We're going to give away some prizes. We're going to play a little game. I might ask you to raise your hand on some of these if you know the answer. And uh, Jim and Wendy, you can help too. Be my eyes. Help them to know who raised their hand first, okay? But in preparation for this series, I did a little bit of research, and I went down memory lane to look at my top 10 of the worst fashion moves of the 90s. And I could have easily done 100. I just want to point that out. I could have easily done like 100. But here are my top 10. Let's see if you guys, especially those of you who are alive in the 90s, remember these, okay? And we might have some prizes. Like this one right here, number 10. Number 10. Let's put that one up on the screen. If you wanted to go back to biblical times and walk around in an itchy sack, you might have bought one of these. Does anyone remember what it was called? Jim, you got a hand? Do you see a hand? Who do you see? All right. Is that Emily? Yep. I believe that's a Baja shirt. That is right. That is the Baja shirt. Good job. We got a gift card for you. We got, did you give, you hooked her up? Did you give her a gift? Yes. Okay. Okay. We got Dairy Queen cards for you guys who get it right. Anybody have a Baja shirt? Those were super itchy. Sue, you have to wear a T-shirt underneath that bad boy. Okay. All right, number nine. Number nine, backward pants. Do you remember these? People couldn't tell if you were coming or going. They had no idea. No idea. Number eight, crimped hair for the I just survived a raging fire look that Brittany's pulling off right there. Number seven, frosted tips for men. Jason, you had those, right? Yeah. Yep, enough said. (laughs) Number six, flat tops and shaved eyebrows. Vanilla yikes, right? Number five, parachute pants. Won't touch that. Anybody remember who that guy is? Yeah, raise your hand, raise your hand. I think right... MC Hammer. MC Hammer is right. Now, by the way, if any of you still own a pair of those in your closet, Fred Schischler, if any of you guys have them, <laughs> hook Jim up because I think he, he wants a pair, right? Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
And in the last week of this series, we're going to have a 90s dress-up contest, and someone's going to win an awesome prize. So make sure you come prepared for that, okay? Number four, the bowl cut. Does anyone remember why they called it the bowl cut? Do you guys remember that? It was because your, your mom would put a bowl over your head, and she would just cut, like, right around it. That's the bowl cut. Speaking of moms, number three, anything made by Bugle Boy. I just had a flashback to my middle school wardrobe. It's that right there. Tell you all you kids all across the land, take it from me. Parents just don't understand. 90s reference right there, okay? Number two, the soul patch. The soul patch. Facial hair that says, look at me, I have a chin. If you had a soul patch in the 90s, you need to get on your knees and confess and repent before a holy God. If you still have a soul patch, <laughs> Hank, yeah. <laughs> Amen. You're forgiven, brother. If you still have a soul patch, Pastor TJ, you got a little bit of barbecue sauce right there. Just want to point that out to you, okay? And can we get a drum roll, please? The worst fashion trend of the 90s, number one, Bizarre pattern silk shirts. This horrible fashion trend affected nerds and cool kids alike, like these two guys. Does anyone remember their names for our final prize this morning? Raise your hand, raise your hand. All right, Jim's going all the way to the back. Who are these two? Who's the cool kid? Who's the nerd in this picture? <laughs> they raised their hand and they backed out. It's Screech and Slater. Is it Screech and Slater? Screech and Slater from Saved by the Bell. Good job. Congratulations. Awesome, awesome. All right, we're going to do more of these every week, so come prepared with your 90s trivia. Now, hairstyles and clothing from the 90s um, were pretty funny, but some of us have made some really bad decisions in life that aren't really funny at all. So let's get serious for a minute. Some of us over the years have made bad decisions in relationships or financially. Maybe we've made a series of bad decisions, and you might refer to it as spring break or freshman year or the first marriage or the car loan. And looking back on it, at times we think, man, I wish somebody would have loved me enough to have sat me down and had a difficult conversation with me and kind of slowed me down and stopped me from making that decision. I wish somebody would have cared for me enough to have said, look, I'll be there for you. Just listen to what I got to say. I see the road you're going down. And if you continue down it, I think it's going to go badly for you. So today, we're, we're going to talk about another big step that followers of Jesus take. And it's a next step into community into community. See, followers of Jesus understand that God didn't call us to walk through life alone. There's no such thing as a solo Christian who's a growing Christian. There's no such thing as a growing Christian that isn't tied into a local community of believers, the church, and also a smaller group of people, Christian community, who can walk with them and hold them accountable. And you can try to get around this in life, 
But let me tell you, it goes against hundreds of passages of Scripture. It is not biblical, and it will go badly for you. Earlier, we talked about something the Apostle Peter wrote about taking next steps and about growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And you see, I think Peter wrote this because he understood this firsthand. He understood this probably better than anybody because he faltered in a major way in this specific area. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app this morning, we're going to spend our last few minutes today in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And this passage of scripture, um, let me kind of set the tone for you. What has just happened is the religious leaders have finally made their move and they have arrested Jesus. And so they're getting ready for the, the process that ultimately is going to lead to his crucifixion. And that is where this story takes place. And it says this in Matthew 26, 56. It, it, it says, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Jesus is about to be crucified. Then all the disciples did what, church? Deserted him and fled. I mean, they were terrified. They're like, it's done. Our leader is captured. The movement is over. We're probably going to be arrested next. They're probably going to try to kill us next. And they fled. And Peter sees Jesus arrested and he runs. Peter ran from the literal body of Christ. And let me ask you guys, what do we call the body of Christ today? The church, that's right. Peter separated himself from his closest people, from Jesus, from the other disciples, from the people who held him accountable and kept him accountable. And guess what happens every time a person separates themselves from the church and close godly people who keep them accountable, things go badly. In fact, as a pastor now for over 20 years, I have never seen a person who walked away from church and who walked away from their closest Christian friends and said, wow, I'm really growing in my relationship with Jesus. I've never seen it happen. Verse 58, but Peter followed from a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. So he's following Jesus from a distance after he's been arrested. And he entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. So look at this. Now he sits with the guards. Now he's not sitting with the apostles. He's sitting with the people against Jesus. Peter takes himself away from the body of Christ, away from his closest Christian support, the other apostles, and now he's sitting with people who hate Jesus. Watch what happens. Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in that courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. If you take yourself away from the body of Christ, and if you don't have close Christian support in your life, Denial of Jesus is inevitable. It's not, will you walk away from Jesus? It's, when will you walk away? If Peter, who walked on water with Jesus, fell into this trap, how easily can we? But he didn't deny him just once. Continues on, verse 71. Then, then he went out 
to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. When we deny Jesus once, it gets easier. When we stop going to church, when we stop connecting in community, it gets easier and easier to do it. And we've all seen this happen with so many friends and family members and people we know during the last few years with COVID, haven't we? It just becomes easier and easier when we break from the habit. Verse 73, after a little while, those standing there went to Peter and they said, surely you are one of them for your accent gives you away. He means Galilean. Then he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Notice how his denials get stronger every time. He denies, he denies with an oath, and then he starts cussing like he's ice cube straight out of Compton. 90s reference. Verse 75. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. See, this is how we know that Peter still belonged to Jesus. Even through the denials, even through that separation, Peter still belonged to Jesus because he realized how his denials broke God's heart. And he wept and he repented and he turned back to God. And what we can learn from this is that if Peter, who walked with Jesus, fell into this trap and denied him, so will we if we distance ourselves from the church and Christian community. So what can we do to avoid this trap and truly be followers of Jesus? Well, there are two things that are critical, and we're just gonna hit these two, and then we'll end today. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Number one, we need to commit to Christ. We need to commit to Christ. Let me explain it like this. I've struggled, and I've shared this with you guys. I shared this at the annual meeting last week. I have struggled with my weight for most of my life. And last year, um, end of 2021, into last year, after my dad had passed, I went through a real dark season of grief. I told you guys, 2022 is probably the hardest year of my life, emotionally, spiritually. And uh, my weight really started to increase and impacting my life. Um, I hit that 300-pound weight mark. And so I finally decided I needed to get serious. I needed to get healthy. I had some good friends, some good Christian friends who started to, to speak into my life. And they encouraged me, and I went to my doctor to ad- address the grief and to address the weight. Um, I stopped eating fast food. I cut sugar out of my diet. I started doing 30 minutes of cardio a day. Got a gym membership. Um, One of my accountability partners is Jared. Where's Jared at? Jared's right over there in the middle. And um, Jared, who is in great shape, I was like, what what do you do? Can you help me out? And Jared's like, yeah, man, I will help you out. In fact, I limped onto this stage today because he helped me with leg day the other day. (laughs) I felt like Peter. I wanted to cuss out leg day. 
Uh, he, he, recently, he was talking to me about burpees. Do you guys know what burpees are? It's where you jump in the air and then lay flat on the ground and do all this kind of crazy stuff, jump back up again. Um, I actually have a workout video at home with an instructor telling you how to do burpees on it. And um, I tried it, and then I, I think I burned it. Um, but the guy would scream at me to, to jump and land like a cat. Land like a cat, land like a cat, land like a cat. I wanted to punch him in his face. Because first of all, I don't like cats. You guys know that. And second, I'm a large man. I don't ever land like a cat. I land like a rhinoceros. I tried the video one time. My kids came running upstairs. They're like, Dad, I think there's an earthquake in Maine. I was like, no, kids, your father's fat. There's a difference, okay? But I, I made a commitment to get healthy. In the past year, um, I stayed committed. I've, I've lost nearly 100 pounds. Thank you. I appreciate that. I still have a road ahead. But some of us, we need to get committed. We need to get fired up, motivated, committed to God. To God. God didn't send his son to come and die for us so we could occasionally come to church, occasionally read our Bible, occasionally pray, occasionally give, and occasionally serve. God gave us everything. He deserves everything. Hebrews 10.23 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I remember in the 90s when I was a teenager is when I learned how to drive. And my dad is the one who taught me how to drive. And one time we were having a driving lesson at night and a possum ran out into the road and I swerved the steering wheel of the car. And the car did almost a full like 360 degree spin and we ended up like on the other side of the road like in a ditch. Luckily, there were no other cars on the opposite side of the road, and we didn't, like, wreck or anything like that. And my father, um, after he recovered from his mild heart attack, said to me, son, don't ever do that again. <laughs> like, don't ever do that again. A car is like a bullet. It will go exactly where you point it, exactly where you turn the steering wheel. I don't care if a possum runs out in the road. Don't swerve. I never forgot that. I don't swerve anymore for animals. A squirrel jumps out in the road, thump, thump. <laughs> Possum, thump, thump. A cat, I hit the gas. <laughs> no, no. Don't send me an email. <laughs> the pastor doesn't kill cats. I just joke about cats because I'm highly allergic to cats they try to kill me every time I see them, okay? The problem is we accept swerving as normal in the church. Some of you guys late at night, you get on your computer, or you get on your phone on the internet, and you start going to websites you know you shouldn't be going to, and you swerve. Some of you women, you meet a guy and he's really attractive, but he's not godly, and you swerve. Sometimes it's because we fall into the myth 
that once we're a Christian, life is easy and it's full of rainbows and unicorns. Let me tell you something. People on this side of the cross face all the same kind of storms of life as people on the other side of the cross. The difference is we've been forgiven and we don't have to walk through storms alone. We have the Holy Spirit of God walking with us, sometimes carrying us through the storm and helping us to have victory in our lives. Victory over temptation, victory over sin. Some of us need to get serious. Number one, we need to commit to Christ. But how do we do that? Well, that leads to number two. If you're taking notes, number two, we need to understand that community is essential. That community is essential. Here's how the Bible says it in Hebrews 10, 25. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I've been in one small group or another for most of my 30 years now as a Christian. And I credit it so much to helping me grow in my walk with Jesus. In fact, for those of you who have recently accepted Christ, last couple weeks, last couple months, last year, if I could speak to each of you face to face, if we could go out for a cup of coffee and I could look you in the eye, I would tell you the single greatest step in your spiritual walk that you could take right now is to get plugged in to some kind of a small group. In my small group experiences, I have got to know godly men that I could be real with, that I could share struggles with, people who would hold me accountable in life, encourage me when I was down, lift me up. We need people like that in our lives, people to speak wisdom into our lives if we're truly going to grow in our walk with Jesus. And here's what encouragement is. Let me unpack that briefly. Encouragement is not condoning a person's behavior and saying, that's okay, you just keep doing what you're doing. No, it's picking up our fallen brothers and sisters and saying, you know what? You don't have to live this way anymore, but you're not alone. I'm going to help you walk through this. I want our church to be a place where we can lean on one another and encourage one another to grow into the people that God wants us to be so that all of us can step into that greater story that God has for us and for our church. And this leads to our third core value as a church, which is this, that growing people grow with people. Growing people grow with people. So my question for you guys today as we close is simply this. Do you have that in your life? Do you have that in your life? And my challenge to you today is if you don't, are you willing to take that next step? Because you weren't meant to do the Christian life alone. And we're going to help you. We're going to equip you Pastor Nancy has been overseeing our, our small groups ministries out in our lobby today. You know, we have a little flyer out there that lists all of the different small groups that regularly meet. It has email addresses and contacts for those small groups. So you can look and you can see what's out there, what's coming up, men's group, women's group, groups for couples, different kinds of groups. 
You don't have to stick with a group. We encourage you just to try something out. Have some community in your life. I hope each and every one of you will grab a flyer and pray about a group. For those of you who are parents, raise your hand if you're a parent in the room. My wife, Julie, and I are starting a small group Sunday morning starting next week. It's only six weeks long. We would love for you to be a part of that. It'll happen immediately following service starting next Sunday, April 30th. It's one hour, 11.30 to 12.30. We'll have a little snack and a drink and you'll get home for lunch. Child care will be provided. I want to encourage you, if you've got kids and, and you want to have some wisdom in your life on how to be a better parent, how to be a godly parent, we want to equip you with that. This is some material that Julie and I did while, while I was on my sabbatical. We did a study together, and it was awesome. And it was awesome. And it doesn't matter what stage of life your kids are in. We have five kids. They're in every stage. We have a preschooler, elementary, you know, age. We got high school. We got college student. We got an adult child. We got every stage. Wherever you're at, we would love for you to be a part. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. You can sign up to be a part of that group for six weeks, April 30th to the first week of June, Sundays, 1130 to 1230. Some of you, some of you have been in this church for years. You know a lot. You know a lot about God. You have a lot of wisdom. You have a lot of knowledge. Some of you should consider leading a small group, starting a small group. Some of you have passions in different areas. We'd love to hear your ideas on a small group you want, might want to get started. Do you guys know we, we, have, we have groups that meet here? We have a, an AA group that meets here. We got a group of guys. I don't know if, if, uh, if is Doug here and Pete and some of you guys here, they play pickleball on Friday nights. They, got, they started community. They're like, hey, we're going to get together, play some pickleball, and they have community. We have a fantasy football small group. I mean, we have, we have interests that different people have. If you have an interest, if you have a passion, there might be some other people who might have an interest and passion. You can create some community. You can bless your church by being willing to start a small group. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, let Pastor Nancy know. Say, Pastor Nancy, I'm feeling God lay on my heart to start a small group. We were not meant to do the Christian life alone. My dream is that 100% of our people would have Christian community in their life. It's critical. I want us all to embrace this. And that's why it's one of our core values. Growing people grow with people. Can we pray together? Let's pray with heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, again, I know this is gonna land in a lot of different areas with a lot of different people in the room, and that's okay, because this series is all about next steps wherever we're at. But there's a person in here today, a teenager, an adult, who would say, you know, my next step is I need more community in my life. For me, maybe it's being more regular about church community and just coming more regularly. I've been out of the habit. Maybe the whole COVID thing kind of threw me off. Maybe I'm watching online right now and I've been sporadically doing that, but I need to get back in the habit. Maybe for me, it's a um, small group community. I haven't really experienced that. I don't really have people in my life who are Christian people who I can be real with. And I need that. I need wisdom in my life. I need accountability. I need to 
start doing life with people trying to walk the same direction as me. I understand that growing people grow with people. God, my prayer today is that you would help me with that next step. If that's you today, would you just lift up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I know this is a next step that I have to take. I need community. Would you pray for me? Praise God. Praise God. Lots of people in the room today who acknowledge that next step. God, I pray that you would just give them, that you'd give them the wisdom to know what to do, to grab a flyer from the back, to talk to a pastor in the church, to sign up for a class, to volunteer to lead a class. Give them the wisdom to know what to do and then give them the courage to put one foot forward and to take that next step. Father, as we're going to do throughout the series, again, I want to pray. If there's a person in the room today who would also say, you know what? I acknowledge that maybe I need to take that first step. That if there is a God who loves me so much, if there's a God who's ready to meet me right where I'm at, if there's a God who doesn't expect me to be perfect and get my life all together, but is ready to put his arms around me and love me even in the mess that I'm in. That's a God that I can give my life to. That's a God I want a relationship with. Today, God, I want to take a first step. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I believe he died for me. I believe he paid the price for all my sins, all my wrongs. God, I want a relationship with you. I don't really know how that's going to look like, but God, I believe you're going to help me with that one step at a time. Even if my legs are shaky, even if I'm feeling like it's leg day, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for that step. If there's a person here who wants to take a step into a relationship, a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus, would you have three seconds of incredible courage and would you just lift a hand right now and say, that's me, would you pray for me? I need Jesus in my life. I want a relationship with God. Praise God. I see a hand in the back. Praise God. That's why we do church. That's why we're here. Is there anybody else? I believe it's the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. I remember when I did it as a high school student, it changed my life forever. Is there anybody here today who wants to take a first step with Christ? Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, I just, again, thank you for being the God of life change, the God who meets us right where we're at. God, thanks for being a God who loved us first. Help us to love you every day of our lives, to be people of action, to be people willing to take steps, to grow to grow in grace, to grow in knowledge of Jesus. God, we love you. And we want to move from the smaller story of us to the greater story and the greater future that you have for us. We love you. Thank you for Jesus and what he did for us. We give you all the glory and honor and praise this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we stand together, church, and continue to celebrate what God is doing as we sing. And again, the altars are open. If you need to come forward, if you need to pray, if you need to kind of get some things right with God, we encourage you and we welcome you to do that. Let's sing together.
God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you this week.